Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we meet the newest member and, well, first member of the Winnipeg Sea Bears. His name is Chad Posthumus. He grew up here and he's good at basketball. So he is the first ever member of the new CEBL team here in the peg. And also, we're going to talk to Murata Tesh to go over what the Jets' options are for the trade deadline Friday. That's all coming up on the podcast. Winnipeg Sea Bears are the new team, the new pro basketball team here in Winnipeg. We've told you about on the show before in the Canadian Elite Basketball League that will start play in a few months. And well, you need some players. And they started that process today announcing that Chad Posthumus is the first ever signing of the team. And he joins us now on the CJOB Sports Show. Chad, how does it feel to be coming home to play for the Sea Bears? Uh, first off, thanks for having me on the show. Um, really excited to be uh, here with the organization and uh, the first player here. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. Haven't played in the league for five years so far. Um, being here in Winnipeg with my family, friends, um, the whole city here, it's amazing. So tell us more about what it's like to play in the Canadian Elite Basketball League. Um, so the Canadian Elite Basketball League uh, started five years ago. Um, six teams were now up to ten. Uh, in every major city in Canada, pretty much. And it is a uh, fast pace, lots of dunks, lots of three-pointers, kind of all the fun things you want to see in a basketball game is uh, what you're going to see on the court with us here at uh, Canada Life Centre. So how would you describe your style of play? And for those who don't know, you are 6'11". <laughs> yeah, I'm 6'11", uh, 275 pounds. So um, I'm one of the bigger guys in the league, uh, setting a lot of screens, couple threes here and there, but mostly just rebounding, kind of being the enforcer out there. Um, lots of dunks, lots of, lots of fun plays for helping the other guys get open lanes. Um, but yeah, you're going to just see a lot of that out there. So how much pride do you take in boxing out and grabbing a rebound? Oh, that's kind of, that's my specialty. Um, I'm not sure how too familiar you are with my game, but uh Pretty much every league I've played in, I've been top of the top of the class in, in rebounds, going out, grabbing them, um, getting my team secondary opportunities on the offensive end, and kind of just bringing that uh, that grit, that toughness into into every game that I play in and approach it with. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I do there. <laughs> At six eleven, though, that that definitely helps. Are you generally the tallest player on the floor? Or have you been able to out rebound taller players? Uh, surprisingly not. There's usually every game I play in is at least, uh, some one or two other guys that are my height or taller. Um, for the most part though, I am one of the, like, I guess you could say bigger, heavier guys on the floor at all times. So being able to, uh, kind of throw my weight around a little bit out there definitely helps with, uh, clearing some space to be able to grab those rebounds. So you just turned 32. You've played professionally in here in Canada, Japan and Argentina as well. Obviously, when you're this tall, one of the options in life is basketball. Did you always know that you wanted to take basketball as far as you could? Honestly, yeah. It was, uh, it was either that or better hockey. I played high-level hockey until I was about 15 or 16 years old. Kind of did the, the whole Canadian thing, starting at 4 or 5, and then all the way up to AA, AAA. Um, and you get around that age, and you got to kind of make a decision um, with with what sport you pick. Um, I know now it's even younger. They're, the kids are starting to specialize at eight or nine years old. But um, at that point in time, it was around when I was yeah, 15 or 16. 
And you got to kind of pick if you're going to go away and play hockey, WHL, whatever, whatnot. Um, And I kind of wanted to stick with basketball, um, keep going that route. So instead of continuing playing AAA, went and played uh, provincial team and kind of built my way up to that um, at that point in time. And then from there, um, university scholarships, and then it just it kind of kept growing from there. One thing led to the next, and then led to myself playing in the NBA Summer League with uh, the Chicago Bulls, and then pro contracts here, pro contracts there, and then, yeah, sure enough, we're 10 years down the road here, 32 years old, and have the opportunity to be here in Winnipeg playing uh, in one of the top professional leagues in the world in the CBL. So, it's uh, yeah, it's been awesome. Never really thought uh, or planned ahead too far, but here we are now. So. so when you're playing basketball at River East Collegiate and tearing things up over a, a decade ago, CEBL was was long. It was long before the league came into existence. Was your thought that it would have been cool to be able to play pro basketball in your home city? Oh, it is. Uh, it's phenomenal. I never even had as a high school player. I know we had had in years past uh, the Cyclones and uh, the Thunder, but having the ability um, back then was uh, was really yeah, not even a thought. And I know for all the kids coming up nowadays in high school um, and even some of the young players in the, in university here, just the, the ability to have professional basketball in your home city, it gives you it gives you that uh, that vision and that that goal right in front of you that you can you can literally see and you can feel being at the games, um, which is which is it's phenomenal, right? Like the, everyone in the U.S. grows up with their most of the most of the larger cities anyway, right? Their pro sports team in in their own city, and you're not just seeing it on TV. You're getting to go to the games. You're getting to feel for it, and uh, being able to have that now it's it's awesome for all these young kids, and I really hope. I even hope I think it's going to help uh, just develop basketball a lot more in the city with uh, with having the team here. What's been the reception at games in your time as part of the CEBL? What kind of turnout do you get at games? Um, it varies from from city to city. I uh, won't throw any names out there, but some of the first my first uh, my first experience my first year um, we were uh, we did really well. I think. Four to four to five thousand people a game wasn't uncommon, but uh, yeah, depending on the city, you're going to see as many as that, or you could see as well as twelve to fifteen hundred. Um, the last couple of years, though, it's just it's only grown each year. Um, there's several organizations that sell out every game, um, or close to it anyway, uh, depending on the facility they have. So it's it's really exciting, and it's only going to get bigger and better as as more money starts trickling into the league. Um, the league develops further, and we just start signing some bigger and bigger names. I know right now we have, I think, seven or eight guys that have been over the last few years are currently playing in the NBA or have contracts and are on teams right now, plus um, a plethora, close to close to 30 guys that are playing in the, the NBA G League, which is the development league, so similar to the AHL for the NHL. So it's uh, it's really cool, and, and you're only going to see more and more as you get these guys out here. So really exciting. I'm looking forward to that just building it and seeing where we can take it in Winnipeg. I think a question some fans will have is, can you make a living playing in this league? 
you most definitely can make a living playing in this league. Um, I, I I believe it's common knowledge, so hopefully I won't uh, won't get in trouble for this. But you get uh, guys are getting paid, I think, between five hundred to fifteen hundred per game, um, and you're you're looking at a ten game per month season, um, right from May May uh, May to August. So you can you can make some decent money, especially over the summer, right where where a lot of these guys are uh, playing in high level leagues in Europe or the NBA G League or fringe NBA players, the ability to now come and play in Canada at home um, where you're not all over the road in a small country in Europe, Asia, where wherever you might be and having that ability to come home, play some games, stay in shape and just play at a really high level is, uh, is awesome. And it definitely adds on, uh, adds on uh, a nice, a nice chunk of change for, for a lot of the guys onto their, their salary already. And for you, somebody who is, been playing basketball for so long you've also been playing basketball as a type 1 diabetic you were diagnosed at seven years old how have you been able to achieve all this success while also dealing with that um i think honestly a large portion that will just go to my my parents growing up and they're just always watching over me my mom even to this day every all the time especially when i'm on the road alone somewhere she'll change text message make sure i'm I'm fine. I'm safe. I'm good. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, I grew up with it, right? I was seven years old when I was first diagnosed. So we're 20, 25 years in the making now. And it's, uh, it's something that you just learn to manage and you learn to, you learn to live with and work with. Um, and then that coupled with the technology nowadays is just, it's amazing, right? You have sensors that are literally a little needle stuck in your arm and it goes right to your phone, shows you your levels, and then you can adjust your insulin accordingly. Um, personally, I use, uh, I still manage it uh, on my own with individual uh, needles and doses, but there are a lot of options for insulin pumps and stuff like that where your levels and everything is, it's all, you're all plugged into you and you're, you're basically an Android having it uh, managed by a little computer in there and you don't really have to do too much. So it's been, it's been great. There's been some challenges, obviously, on the court managing that with um, got to have a needle on the court, got to be testing myself, bringing snacks with me all over the place. I know my friends are always always laughing because I'm always carrying snacks around in my pocket and they're, they're hungry. They'll be like, hey, can I have them? Like, hey, yeah, got you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a challenge, but it's honestly, like I said, it's something that I uh been been living with forever and it's just a part of me at this point in time. And finally, are you now part of the recruitment process to get other players here? Uh I've been I've been part of the process for uh for a little bit now. Now that it's officially signed though, uh if there's anyone else out there don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'd love I'd uh love to kinda share what we got here in Winnipeg and, and the community we have here. Um speaks for itself just with like the Winnipeg Jets and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, how we have some of the best attendance rates in the season, or sorry, in the, in their respective leagues. So I can only, I can only imagine what it's going to be here for basketball and the community that we uh, that we'll have uh, building up for that. So, um, yeah, definitely going to be uh, going to be working my way to get the best guys here, um, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll see how that uh, how that works out and pans out for the summer. But I'm expecting big things. Well, Chad, appreciate your time tonight. Congrats on the deal. Welcome back home, and uh, we'll see you on the court this spring. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. This guy, you got to love him. I mean, from what I heard last night, and he flew in yesterday morning. 
and just went out and played. But that's how he plays. He, he's all heart, man. He's a big, big body that plays the game hard, plays the game the right way. He was a great pickup for them. And uh, he's, yeah, he makes them a whole lot better defensively uh, just by his presence. Uh, he's got a great stick. He's physical. Uh, you saw him down hanging around the net a couple of times last night. So he's not afraid to jump up in the play. Uh, I have a, no, I have a ton of respect for the way that guy plays the game. That's Rick Bonus today on the impact Matthias Ekholm has and will have on the Oilers as they've made some moves, as well as acquiring Nick Bukestad today for a third-round pick from Arizona. The question is, what do the Jets have in store as we head into the trade deadline day? As to break that down and lots more, we're joined by Murat Atesh of The Athletic. And Murat, would the Jets not have liked to have someone like Matthias Ekholm on their team, or was the price just too much? I mean, I think every NHL team would like to have a Matthias Ekholm on board. Um, I would agree with Bonus's assessment of him. I mean, he does a little bit of everything. He's mobile. He's physical. Great contract. I mean, I think he's going to do really good things for Edmonton. Um, but your point is is kind of taken in Winnipeg right now where, you know, there have been 40 moves I, I read since Ryan O'Reilly was moved to the Leafs last week. And Winnipeg has Nito Niederreiter, a great acquisition to show for it. Um, but I think there's a lot of people in Winnipeg right now going, why not us every time a quality player moves? And so now we look ahead and, and what what would you say? And we've talked about this before. We talked a lot about Timo Meyer last time you were on. Obviously, he's in New Jersey now. But what would you say the biggest hole is in this Jets lineup right now? I think a top six forward who can play, you know, that 200-foot quality game um, you know, that is defensively responsible as well as capable of scoring. That's that's the fantasy. And, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, I mentioned his name because I think fit-wise, there's just so, uh, he's just such a good 200-foot player. And, of course, he's a Toronto Maple Leaf now. So you look to the rest of the market. Timo Meyer would have been wonderful. But, you know, as I learned just a, a couple of days after talking to you, I think, um, you know, he informed the Jets through his agent that he wouldn't be interested in in a long-term extension uh so winnipeg said well hey we're that's not kind of the game we're playing new jersey was more comfortable with that sort of arrangement but those are the types and you know i think what jets fans would wish is that i was naming players who were still obviously available on the market and not moved to other teams um because i think there's a sense in winnipeg's top six whether it's mark shifley kyle connor nikolai ehlers you know, that there's some puck management issues. And for all of their scoring and offense, um, they're not, you know, battle-tested in terms of playoff quality defense, that's for sure. And I think that's part of the, of the recent slump. Um, and I think that if you could inject somebody into that top six that could do a little bit of everything, including play defensively responsibly, um, that would be a, a major area of boost for the Jets. Do you think someone like Connor Sheary could be on the list who's a pending free agent, only a million and a half cap hit? Maybe that's not a top six player, but could beef up your bottom six? Yeah, I mean, it's another situation where, you know, Winnipeg's bottom six hasn't particularly scored. Got two goals from Kevin Stenland the other day, but other than that, it's been a bit of a ghost town offensively. And, you know, looking at players who can help in the bottom six and just to provide a little bit more. Um, that also is a substantial need. You could get that by acquiring a top six forward that bumps everybody else down. You could acquire that in the form of a Connor Sheary as well. And, you know, um, uh, he has an affordable uh, price tag. I think it's $1.5 did, did I have that right? Yep. Um, 
And, uh, you know, he scored big before playing with Sidney Crosby. He's not that player necessarily, and certainly Sidney Crosby helps. But he's clocked along at about a half a point a game production for the last uh, couple of years since then. Um, if Winnipeg could find a way to make that fit on a line that's, you know, ostensibly centered by Adam Lowry, who's mostly pure defense, you know, that's the kind of quality add that you might see having an impact lower in the lineup. I'm not sure that, that that's, that's Winnipeg's M.O. I think that they really like shutdown uh, looks on that third line, but I see your point and I see the value in it. What about names that are a little more pricey, like a James Van Riemsdyk, $7 million cap hit pending UFA out of Philadelphia, or Brock Besser, who I'm not sure will be moved out of Vancouver. Uh, Dmitry Kulikov is a name that's out there as a defenseman from Anaheim. He's been here before. And then someone like a JT Miller, who's got a gigantic cap hit. I don't think he's probably going to get moved either. I don't know if anyone would want him. And then Joel Edmondson, uh, who's from here in Manitoba, making a million, three and a half million. Uh, he's definitely not going to help offensively, but maybe defensively can pitch in. Any of these names feel like they could work for the Jets? Yeah, you know, I, I'll start with Edmondson. Just uh, you, you mentioned him last, and he's uh, he's a Manitoban. When he won the Stanley Cup with St. Louis, he took it to the Keystone Center in Brandon. You know, he's not just Manitoban, but a Manitoban who's clearly proud of his roots. And I don't think that um, that makes him a better or worse hockey player. But Winnipeg um, probably values that sort of thing, even in, in the case of a, of a rental or a relatively short-term player. The big question with Edmondson is his health. He's got to get in the lineup, but I think he's playing, is it tonight? In, in terms of teams being able to make sure that he's healthy and able to play um, you know, the quality of, of, of playoff hockey that made him such a mainstay in Montreal. I mean, Winnipeg, when, when the Jets were swept by Montreal uh, after Winnipeg swept Edmonton, you know, the Jets had such a tough time getting to the middle of the ice. And along with Ben Sherratt, Shea Weber, et cetera, Joel Edmondson was uh, a really important part of that for Montreal. I don't know that that's the player he is today, but I think teams are, are curious about that. And, and I don't see why Winnipeg wouldn't be among them. Uh, the other one from your list that I think that Winnipeg has been connected to by other folks in the media, say um, oh, on TSN, I think Chris Johnson was, was talking about it today. James Van Riemsdyk from the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, that's somebody who, you know, he used to score 30 goals all of the time. That's not quite the, the, the player he is at 33, but he still gets a ton of pucks to the net and he holds his own in the blue paint. He's a big player. He's not an automatic, this is a, you know, I don't think he would have even the impact that saying, you know, Niederreiter would, but he would help add depth and quality to the team. The interesting thing about him at 7 million, um, you know, if you move a contract and I'll say Logan Stanley's name, not because I believe that's necessarily what's happening, but because Andy Strickland reported Stanley has made a trade request. Um, if you move a contract and then send a, another player down, when they can actually accommodate JVR's cap hit without other roster surgery. Um, if you're Philadelphia, you probably want to retain some of JVR's um, 7 million because you might be able to get more out of a different team, like say Vegas. If, if Philadelphia eats some of Van Rien's like salary, uh, Vegas may have more willingness to part with the draft picks and futures than Winnipeg. But I think he is a player that makes sense for the Jets, at least in terms of them being interested. So none of these moves are going to impact tomorrow night's game unless a roster player goes out the other way. The Jets are, of course, in Edmonton tomorrow night, hosting the Oilers on Saturday are you worried about this team going into this head-to-head? 
I mean, yes, in that Edmonton's a quality team who has seemed to find a, another gear recently, and Ekholm is a substantial addition. Um, the Oilers' power play has been clicking, even Evan Bouchard getting the promotion now that Tyson Berry's gone. I mean, it's just, yes, because they're two tough games against a tough opponent. Um, I did like, you know, I out, coming out of the weekend, pardon me, Christian, sorry, I, they had played so poorly against Colorado. Uh, they had asked for a pushback, but didn't get it early against the Islanders. There was a lot of misery, I think. But I genuinely did like some of the some of the work Winnipeg did against Los Angeles. And if you're looking and you're grasping at straws and you're looking for signs that you know they've returned to a certain quality of game, well, it was few and far between that you saw you know Jets forwards on the wrong side of their man defensively, or players cheating for offense, or firing pucks into really troublesome areas. Winnipeg did struggle at times, you know defending against Anze Kopitar's deflections, PK lets one in, all that sort of stuff. And obviously Dylan Sandberg falling, um, you know, that's just more of a stuff happens than Winnipeg doing the wrong thing. Uh, and just in terms of how they executed their own systems, it was a step towards positive. But you need a you need more than a step towards positive if you're the Jets holding on to a you know a battle for a wild card spot right now. I think um, so. Reasons for concern, reasons for optimism mixed. I'm not all in or out on on the Jets' fortunes. So you think there is merit to the message we've been hearing that there were you know they liked their game and it's a step in the right direction. But I guess we don't really know until we see these next two games against a team that can score a lot of goals, but also does have a track record of giving up a lot as well. Yeah, you know, I, I thought that Winnipeg went to the, it was a step in the right direction well earlier than I observed it. I mean, they were saying it after the Islanders game and, you know, what Brendan Dillon gets a shot from the neutral zone in the first period and it takes until the second period to get a proper shot on goal. Um, so that was, uh, that I felt premature and just a little bit more managing the optics, but I genuinely believe it coming out of the Los Angeles game. Um, and, you know, going up against Edmonton, though, like I like I say, um, they're they need more than steps in in the right direction. Um, and Christian, I can't help but pivot. There's just Arizona. I keep drawing my attention to Arizona. They've added a lot of dead cap hit. You know, they added Jacob Voracek today. They've always been able to be sellers. They they have no problems with the cap floor even before that. But Nick Schmaltz, um, you know, a player under contract for a few years yet. He scored you know, most of a point per game for the Coyotes and played decent defense, mostly as a right wing, partly as a center over the last couple of years. Might be an expensive ad assets-wise, but he's somebody who I wonder if still gets moved even now uh, that it seems like Arizona's done a lot. So I got to throw his name into the mix. And just before I let you go, this is going to be a, a topic that's discussed in NHL circles, and it has been for a while. Are you bothered that like almost half of Arizona's cap hit is guys that might not play in the NHL again. Personally, I'm not, I, I see it. I see it online. I see it on TV. I see all of it that, you know, some folks are really angry that the Arizona coyotes are, are, you know, icing this ghost roster of, you know, all these all-star caliber players that can't play for them because they're injured or, or you know, long-term retired or whatever the, the situation might be. Um, and it's just, they're, cap gymnastics to get to the cap floor while while rebuilding collecting draft picks all of that sort of stuff and trying to save money for me that's no different than you know tampa bay nikita kucherov a couple of years ago comes back just in time for the playoffs 
was on long-term injury reserve until that point, helping Tampa Bay make some additions cap-wise. There's a set of rules, and whether it's to exceed the cap at the high end, whether it's to play with that cap floor, I mean, they're the same rules for everybody, and they have been for so many years now. Yes, it's getting a little bit ridiculous in that one team is, is stilting that way and nobody else is quite acting like the Arizona Coyotes, but it's been within the rules for ages, and I think other teams certainly don't mind moving contracts there, just like Winnipeg did with Brian Little last year. It's true. Brian Little, Shea Weber, Jacob Voracek, you've got a, a Andrew Ladd. You got a nice lineup of like if this was 2015 or something like that for the Arizona Coyotes, <laughs> but it's 2023 and they may not play again. Well, Murat, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. We'll look for your work in the athletic and we'll see what the Jets do by two o'clock tomorrow. Thanks, Christian. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn